Welcome to GovCast, connecting with federal IT's top decision makers. I'm your host, Amy Kluber. It's been about six months since CISO Rob Wood joined the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. And during that time, he has been standing up an effort to make security everybody's solution or problem, depending how you look at it. Rob is new to government, having spent significant time at various startups helping them get their data in order and red team assessments, among other efforts. He's bringing a new security lens to CMS, even working on what he calls the Batcave, a platform similar to the Air Force's Platform One. It's always interesting to hear about the opportunities to bring change for an agency working to innovate the nation's public health insurance programs and keeping its data secure. Rob, great to have you on GovCast. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you and your background and some of the work ahead at CMS. It's going to be awesome. Let's do it. So you're new in your role as of November, which is, you know, about six months ago now. What brought you to CMS? Did you always want to work in public service? I always wanted to do something that was big and important where I felt like my efforts could help move the needle. and. I spent time working in a couple of startups that would that had the potential to make a big splash on the respective in, industries that they were in. So one of those was healthcare focused, one of those was cybersecurity focused. And when the opportunity to to contribute to the CMS security program came up, it was just it, you know it was such a big opportunity for me personally, and from what I had been told about the security program and the state of things going into it, I felt like my background would be like, I felt like I could make a difference. And so, you know, that sounds cliche to say, but that's what was in my head. That's what was in my, uh, my heart going into it. And so I decided to throw my hat in the ring and here I am. Awesome. Your background in the private sector and as well as uh, at various startups, I mean, that kind of that same sentiment kind of reigns true to a lot of that stuff. You've been working in quite a number of different efforts related to health. What were some of them? Yeah, so I started my career in security as a consultant. So I started off in a really boutique consultancy and you know, had some experience with like healthcare and financial services. And that was from you know, doing like security assessments at like hospitals and things like that. And then I moved into a much larger consultancy uh, called Sigital. And they were they have since been bought by a company called Synopsys. And there I got a chance to work in a number of capacities threat modeling and penetration testing and helping with the development of like secure programming frameworks, things like that. And that was applied to much bigger health payers and, and other healthcare entities. So big hospital networks, things like that, that had a much bigger footprint. And then from there, I made the move into the first startup that I had worked at, a company called Nuna Health. And they were actually supporting CMS at the time through a project called TMSA. So that it was, it was a data warehouse serving the Medicaid program. And I had the opportunity to build a security program there, both helping get the product that they were building into the hands of CMS so it could do what it, you know, solve the problems that it was intended to solve, but also protect the company's sort of corporate security posture. And so that was all incredible experience on its own. You know, each of those touch points along the way was really awesome experience in their own way. And I learned a lot. That's great. A lot of leaders in government right now, that especially those who have joined the show, they say a lot that they're not even technical people when they get their start in 
IT or security, they kind of happened into it. But in your case, you kind of came into that right off the bat and into IT. So what got you interested in technology? So actually, when I was studying back in the day, I was actually studying sports management. I did not study IT. I ended up getting a degree in IT, but I had changed majors literally my last semester. And uh, I changed majors and literally just like rifled through everything that was technology related as fast as I possibly could. (laughs) And just to kind of get it done with. And I very much took the approach of like a a self-learning sort of approach. Like I was working part-time jobs to you know, paying my bills at the time. And I was listening to DEF CON lectures on headphones and I would go back home and mess around with things and sort of teach myself. And I've taken that same kind of mindset throughout most of my career of like, I have a problem in front of me. I need to learn something about it. I need to figure out how to at least get something working so that I can see if it works, experiment, probably fail and, you know, run straight into a wall and then learn something about it and then try something else. And so I don't know what exactly got me into technology per se, but the there's a certain thrill of working in working in cybersecurity. So, you know, when I first started out, I was doing a lot of uh, red teaming work where, you know, you're doing like physically breaching corporate offices and, and things like that. You're doing social engineering, which is very exciting. You know, it gets the heart pounding when you're, you know, calling people and interacting with them live or trying to, you know, pick locks at night and, and stuff like that. And it was just fun and exciting. And I think I got, I got hooked from there. And everything that I've worked on has been a new set of challenges. So when I first went into Sigital, for example, it was totally new sort of security. It was all application security based. And I didn't have a background as a software developer or you know, I didn't know a lot about the software development process, you know, how developers worked. You know, I didn't know a lot about coding at the time. And so I sort of dove face first into those things and taught myself. And so it's, I think for me, it it really boils down to this lifelong mission around learning or this lifelong love of learning and security and technology has kind of given me an outlet to do those things, which has been really awesome. Like I've got my AirPods sitting here and I am, you know, my wife will tell you I'm, I'm constantly walking around. If I'm not in front of my screen, you know, listening to books or watching YouTube videos, or just, just trying to learn more things and you know, I, I study across all sorts of different fields and try to, you know, find connections or parallels to things. And, you know, I just, I, I love learning about stuff. And I think that's probably the big driver for me. Wow. Well, CMS right now, I mean, do you think it's kind of an interesting time considering where we are in the state of the pandemic coming to the end of it and thinking about health data and the security around that? Do you think it's kind of a pivotal moment for you and for the agency? I think so. I mean, that was one of the considerations I had coming into this role. So, you know, it was right around right around the election or, you know, it was election season when I joined. And, you know, one of the big sort of uh, dividing lines in the healthcare political landscape was, you know, Medicare for all or expanded healthcare coverage for uh, for more people provided by the federal government for the American people. And so, you know, Medicare, Medicaid and other CMS programs already support a huge percentage of the American population. And if, you know, there was a possibility that that was going to even further expand or that it was going to become even more important for people across the U.S. And so, you know, I felt like if CMS was willing to put its confidence in me to bring me on board and I felt confident in myself that I could, you know, at least help in some way, shape or form, 
I felt like it was it was a it was a must do for me. So I, I mean, I personally think so. To answer your uh, your original question, and I think yeah, I mean, healthcare is such a foundational thing for so many like basic parts of life. Like if you're not a if if you're not living a healthy lifestyle, if you don't have access to basic healthcare services, like you know, there might be like huge amounts of stress to follow from that, and and you know, in, in somebody's personal life, which has all sorts of other negative consequences that could follow. So. You know, I mean, I'm a big proponent of a healthy, you know, living a healthy lifestyle and such, but, you know, healthcare goes, goes way beyond that. And so, yes, in short. (laughs) That makes complete sense. So considering CMS's IT modernization right now, actually all of government really, it's undergoing a huge modernization push, especially over the past year. Where's some of your security priorities coming up? Yeah. So, so we have a bunch, uh, understandably, and I think one of the easiest ways that I can kind of summarize the security priorities here, or at least some of my security priorities, are really focused on trying to make security easier for the end user. So one thing I've noticed in my time working in the field is that people oftentimes get picked on as being the quote-unquote weakest link in security. And then at the same time, we're always adding more things for people to have to do you know, uh, web developers started building web applications and now we, you know, you start throwing static analysis at them, start pen testing things, start uh, looking at libraries and open source security risk. And, you know, we're finding design flaws and there's always more stuff to do. And it becomes, you know, not many people are hired into an organization to do security work. You know, a lawyer, a doctor, a secretary, uh, office assistant, a CEO, you know, whatever the role is, they are not hired to do security work. You know, we always say security is everyone's responsibility, but we oftentimes do not, you know, the office assistant's job or the lawyer's job, the GC's job, you know, we don't take on that same kind of mental burden, but we expect others to take it on for us. And so I think it's, it's paramount and it, it's really important to me that we make security more accessible to everyone that we are trying to serve. And so, you know, a few big ways that we're trying to do that is first trying to find things that we can just get rid of, like stuff that we started doing at some point in time, because, you know, maybe somebody mapped it to a compliance initiative or requirement or, you know, some kind of industry trend at the time and figure out if it's really adding value or moving the needle on risk. And if it's not, then get rid of it as fast as we can, if it, especially if it's not actually helping people out and it's disrupting their day-to-day. The other thing is trying to invest, like make smarter investments in technology platforms to take care of repetitive, duplicative work for people. So we're kicking off a big initiative right now. We're labeling us the Batcave. I'm a big Batman <laughs> fan. <laughs> and, I can tell. <laughs> and everything, everything is named after Star Wars. And so I had to, <laughs> I had to be an outlier in the in the mix. Hey, you're uh, starting a new trend. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, so it's effectively it's modeled after the Air Force's Platform One initiative. And oh, great. it's um, so enterprise Kubernetes and declarative pipelines all with the, with the hopes of decreasing the time to value for software developers to get something into production from ideation to production faster. And so decreasing the time that they have to spend in audit, decreasing the potential risk or fear around making changes to production code, and ultimately trying to incentivize more change faster. 
because right now security is so painful in so many ways that it creates a disincentive to change and it creates a disincentive to kick over stones and find more risk. And so we're measuring the wrong kinds of things and we're encouraging the wrong kinds of things in my humble opinion. And so, you know, if we're measuring a lack of negative security outcomes and that's how you get your ATO, then surprise, people aren't going to look that hard for negative security outcomes. If you're instead, you're measuring positive security activities that inevitably result in positive security outcomes, then people are going to do more of those positive security activities that have the positive outcomes you're looking for. And so that's the kind of stuff that we're trying, you know, we're trying to kind of turn the tables on a lot of this, on a lot of the thinking and culture that has gone into security to date at CMS and use the kind of the weight of CMS being as large and having as, as big of a footprint as it does to do that. From a development standpoint, it kind of sounds a little bit like DevSecOps. Would that be accurate? I mean, you know, DevSecOps is, you know, it, it's, it's a fun buzzword. But the, yeah, so I mean, in short, yes. Uh, you know, we are trying to take a more unified and user-friendly approach to security across the board. And developers are definitely a part of that overarching strategy. But it also goes into, you know, it, it extends well beyond that. And so that's why I, I don't want to, sort of put it in a box quite so simply. But if you think about things like phishing, so social engineering or security awareness programs, traditionally, there's a huge emphasis placed on managing and measuring the number of clicks or the number of people who fail or fall for a phishing test. And, you know, it doesn't really tell you all that much. You know, I think a more interesting measure of a good security awareness program is how many people are reporting phishing tests? Uh, how many people are reporting live phishing results? How many people are talking about them if they're getting live, like real world phishing attempts uh, delivered to their inboxes? Asking ourselves, why are we allowing phishing or vishing or password replays, things like that to even happen? You know, why should you be able to take your single sign-on password and submit that to anywhere except for your single sign-on portal? Shouldn't be allowed. Yet, it's a thing that is, uh, you know, we test people and we expect them to remember it and apply this kind of mental filter when they're getting tens, hundreds, sometimes a thousand emails a day and apply that sort of thinking to every single email. And email is like the operating system of many organizations. And that just, it's not scalable and it doesn't actually work all that well, in my opinion. And so we need to, you know, we need to be looking more introspectively to figure out how can we lighten the load on end users give them the knowledge that they actually truly need. And again, measure and report on and really trying to spotlight on and, and champion the things that, that they're doing or they might be doing or we want them to do that are positive. So for example, when I was at Nuna, we had this really cheesy uh, sort of ritual, but it caught on. And so I think it's worth mentioning here in the event it's useful for anyone. I ordered on Amazon this little Grammy uh, or like Oscars uh, trophy that I had engraved with a, uh, it was the Nuna Human Firewall Award. It might actually be still be floating around there somewhere, but every, every month at an all hands, we would, our team ran a number of phishing tests. And, and we of course fielded live phishing reports um, through an email distro and followed up on them and such. And anyone who, you know, we felt really exemplified going above and beyond from a security uh, front, you know, they went and found a bunch of bugs. They, set aside time to fix things. They 
got a real world phishing attack. They alerted us and then they started telling people about it in Slack, things like that. We went ahead and started sort of spotlighting them in our all hands. And then we gave them the trophy for the month to hang on to as a way of kind of commend, like basically championing their efforts. And we started seeing a lot more of that month over month, which, which I think really helped the security culture in that particular company. So, you know, things like that is what I'm kind of referring to. And that's why I'd say it, it expands way beyond uh, the development, security, and operations sort of triad. Security Oscar. I kind of want to take that. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. It's, uh, you know, it's free, to, it's free to use. So considering some of these experiences that you just explained in the private sector, have you been able to apply very much of these lessons learned or principles from that area to CMS? We are certainly trying, yes. It's, of course, a very different organizational culture, you know, different dynamics to consider. It's way more decentralized than a, you know, a singularly focused startup building you know, one, maybe two products. You know, there's a lot more stuff going on. You know, it's a big enterprise, basically. And so you know, doing those things requires a lot more sort of coordination, and you know, there's more consideration that needs to go into it to consider the potential unintended consequences, as well as the, you know, how much we could actually move the needle. But in short, yes. And, you know, one of the things that we're really trying to lean into is, is the free flow of information. So historically, you know, security has been very kind of guarded and, you know, security stuff is very sensitive and nobody can know about it and it's secret squirrel stuff. And, you know, you have to, you know, we had kind of have to keep everyone else at arm's length. And that's, that is, it's useful in some limited respects, but it becomes not useful if people can't effectively do their jobs or make decisions. Because ultimately, you want decisions to be localized where they need to be made. You don't want some ivory tower making the decisions and then passing them, you know, passing all decisions down. You want the people who are most equipped to make the decision with all the relevant data to make it. And so uh, we've been trying to really lean into this free flow of information, more open feedback, giving people like direct access to, uh, to myself, to my deputy, to my leadership team. And, you know, we're, we're all over Slack, like we're in the security community channels as much as anybody else. And we've observed a lot of kind of excitement around it, which, you know, which might be short lived. I don't know. I hope not. But we're, we're really going to want to, like, we're going to keep leaning into a free flow of information, because at least in my opinion, it, it helps really keep everyone engaged. And if we want to take the approach of, everyone has a part to play in the security program, then we need to all be working together as a team. There can't be this ivory tower approach to it. Definitely. And it certainly sounds like you have a lot on your plate to tackle, but you're well-equipped to do all that. So last question, because I am being mindful of time, considering the upcoming tech opportunities and maybe the cybersecurity landscape over the past decade, is there anything that you're most excited for on the horizon? The thing I'm, I think I'm most excited about with, with the direction that technology is going is the, is the fact that more and more parts of a technology stack are becoming programmatically accessible. And it's everything from like software-defined networking to APIs on SaaS tools to API-driven infrastructure to infrastructure as code. And, and as more things are programmatically accessible, it doesn't necessarily mean everyone has to instantly become developers, but we can start to lighten the load on people by also programmatically testing and asserting certain assumptions that we have about the way 
we expect security to be implemented and operating in some kind of environment. And as a result of that, we can spend less time burdening people with you know, document collection, review, interviews, things like that. And when we do real-time engage with people, we can have more meaningful conversations about you know, what things are worrying them, what they would like to see us uh, go focus on and potentially help with, things like that. So, so that's, I think, one thing that I'm very excited about. And, and you're seeing this kind of trend wrapped up in all manner of, of new technical advancements. So, you know, new cloud services, Kubernetes and containers and, you know, the, the explosion of machine learning and, uh, you know, real-time, uh, you know, stream processing, all sorts of stuff that is all very exciting. But the fact that it can be developer-led or integrated via programmatic means is very exciting to me because that means we can start to test and assert, assert certain things about an operating environment in a way that we never could before. You know, before it's, you're very much reliant on this. You're very much reliant on people's word. You know, it, actually, so this is something that, that I've observed heavily in the private sector. So, you know, third-party risk management, you know, you're about to go through some big procurement and somebody puts you through a third-party risk management review, vendor security review. They send you a questionnaire. You can fill it out with whatever you want. You know, there is no verification of what's in that questionnaire. And so long as you say the right words, you're going to pass whatever you know, check is being applied on that end. They ask for a bunch of documents. More than likely, they're not actually reviewing them. And it just gets filed away somewhere for some kind of liability purpose and to check a box, and then you're moving on. But if you can assert what's actually happening within a particular environment, and you can assert how you're applying or integrating some kind of technology into your environment, you can get much smarter about the risk and how it's and how you actually want to manage it. And so, yeah, that's, I think, the most exciting thing for me. That sounds really promising. And especially considering uh, what you said earlier in the interview with your uh, inspiration of Medicare for all, and then now you're kind of passing that off with security for all. <laughs> I thought that's a really interesting um, perspective there. So Rob, thanks so much for joining us on GovCast. It was great to kind of get into some of these security issues that are on the horizon and how you're approaching the private sector expertise to the agency. So I thought it was a really fascinating look at what's going on in uh, health right now. You are very welcome. It was, uh, it was, it was my pleasure. GovCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to our website. And please, if you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving us a review in iTunes. We continue to strive to help you connect with federal IT's top decision makers. Thanks for listening.